Welcome to Beyond Medicine. My name is Rami Webby. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm a physician with a particular interest in healthcare innovation, building a better healthcare experience, and overall health and well-being. In this podcast, we bring you inspiring leaders from across the medical landscape to help us build a better medicine and lead a better life. We hope you enjoy. What's up, podcast? This episode is with Dr. Doug Farrego, MD. He's a family practice doc. He's an OG in the DPC space. He's the founder of two blogs, Authentic Medicine, dpcnews.com. He's got two patents with two products out on the shelves. Hilarious guy. We had such a blast with this conversation. No political correctness at all. Super raw. I think you guys are going to like this one. So without further ado, we'll get right into the episode. Dr. Doug Farago, yep. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast right now. As we just talked about pre-interview, pre-recording, um, I just watched your video, actually a video you had done with ZDog MD years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost, I almost feel like I'm, I'm talking to my, like someone who I would, I, I wish I had known about you earlier because, <laughs> because like, it's almost like you're, a, you're almost like an idol of what I want to do later on in my life. And, uh, like just kind of like the personality, like, I think one of the, I think the topic or the, or the title of the video was outliers in medicine or something along those lines Yeah, yeah, yep. and how being an outlier and, you know, talking about, you know, how you were an outlier and how you challenged the system and how you created almost like a satire against the system. We can talk yeah. about all that, especially the, what is, what is it? The Botox for your scrotum? Uh, oh, that was just Botox. one of those scrotox. That was, we were, the, actually, there actually is, <laughs> uh, someone came up with a real thing called scrotox. We actually named it as a joke, but so we did. Um, so wait, your so audience, people are actually trying to get the wrinkles off of their scrotum? Yeah, yeah, it was a joke, but it's, <laughs> I, I tried to, <laughs> I sent you the picture later, but uh, I had a great graphic design for that level back then. So you look in 2001 and 2011, the placebo journal came out every other month and we had a fake drug ad every other month. So whether it was that or it was, you know, Miagra, which you take because those times you just want to be left alone and be on your own, you know, whatever we did. We just did on and on. We hammered <laughs> drugs as they came out. Right. And so that was a fake drug at every time we, one of my, one of my, I may have mentioned this, but one of my favorites was, um, uh, or just things we did. We, we, we actually had a COP, we, we, uh, uh, you could buy a COPD terrarium, like those things where you enclose somebody with plants because they're coming us, they're giving out so much CO2 and, you know, whatever we would, we would do that. We, we had these f ridiculous, funny things and we had fun with it, you know, and I, somehow I didn't get fired though. I should have, um, because <laughs> of all the things we did, it's amazing, especially today's cancel culture. We, we really were very, it was a joke. You were allowed to do mad magazine like stuff. Yeah. And now everybody gets all bent out of shape well, over everything. Well, uh, you had a journal. It was like a comic, right? Yeah. So it's called a placebo journal. Actually, if you yeah. look up there behind me, if you can see me, if it's, if you're not on video, if you're on video, yeah. uh, it was every other month, it was about the size of a small book and it was, you know, 48 pages, I think, or something like that. And it came out every other month and you was print. Wow. And um, these are all, all color. It was actually really quite nice. Uh, it was really fun to do. And I had uh, true stories of medicine. So it wasn't like the onion where they would make up these fake things. All of them was true stories when we did fit, uh, like no one's no compromise of care, but like 
crazy things you saw in medicine, like the crazy, you always have, you have stories, I'm sure as well right now, yeah. uh, between medical school and residency. And so, I, you know, uh, people would send me these stories and we'd illustrate them almost like a graphic novel. And um, in fact, uh, uh, Broadway books at Division of Random House did the best of the first two years. And we're probably going to come out with the best of all the, the next eight years soon. So I'm going to probably do a best of in, uh, of the placebo journal because all that stuff is applicable today. We would hammer administrators. Uh, we would hammer some of these uh, ridiculous conferences that were, I don't know, we would just, that was so boring that we would just make it even more boring. Um, you know, I'm a, you know, <laughs> pathologist hanging out at a conference. Can you imagine how boring, you know, whatever. So, <laughs> Uh, so anyway, we would do, we would really have fun with that. It, 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 honestly, it's endless material because of what goes on. We would, what goes on, you see every day. We would have, we would mock fun of the response to COVID because it was done so stupidly in so many ways. I mean, the fact that now, without getting political, I'm not even going to COVID, but, oh, the CDC says that the, um, we can go from three feet, six feet to three feet in school. Like, okay, I guess the, the virus jumps We've made, we have so scientifically advanced it only jumps three feet now, not six feet, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh my so, God. I mean, it's just, it's just having fun with, because in this job, uh, and you know a little bit about that, um, it is a hard job and you're wearing, you know, everybody comes in uh, with their problem and, and you have 25 when you're in a system, an industrialized family medicine model, 25 patients a day, they have a monkey on their back and they want to give you that monkey um, and then you done, then the day you got 25 monkeys on your back and they leave all relaxed and lightened up, but you're like, man, I'm wearing all these monkeys. And after a while it wears you down. So if you don't have any outlet uh-huh. and one of my outlet was humor and, and like you talk about Z dog and he's doing less, um, he's just a smart guy and a great interviewer and he's doing less of the creative stuff, which I know he does love, mm-hmm. uh, but it's cool that he's doing some of the creative, creative outlets and he helped everybody through COVID by interviewing some really great people. Mm-hmm. But the humorous part was fun for me. And then I've always done other projects. Uh, and so you talk about being an outlier. Yeah. I, I can't just do one thing and medicine was just, I couldn't just do medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, satire brings so much relief to people. I mean, it's, that's what, that's what the whole point of satire is. And right. who needs more relief than people in medicine, man? We're, but you gotta be careful, right? Yeah. So it, it's a dark humor. No one else gets it other than us. Right. And so, um, house of God would be very difficult to do. You can't even, if you watch scrubs today and I've been going through it just because I'm, I'm retired, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But I just was going through scrubs, the TV show, which is a phenomenal show. It's much better than I thought it was. And I, I, I would say 80% you can't do today. Yeah. I think that there, it was, People it's, so it's amazing now. Oh I my mean, God. Yeah. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. I mean, when I like, like uh, Zubin, uh, or Z-Dub, who I, I'll text him, you know, horrifically, terribly inappropriate things. And he does it back to me, but we know we keep it to ourselves, you know, because yeah. we can't, you know, we want to laugh, but you better be very careful. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm not saying ever to be hurtful to people, uh, but especially when you embarrass yourself, you know, there's no nothing wrong with laughing about what an idiot you were. I mean, but mm-hmm. you, you never know how you can get in trouble or not. Well, people, you don't know how people can interpret things, take things out of context and then manipulate it and then create a whole, you know, all it takes is one person with a huge audience of followers yeah. to sit, to take something out of context and put you in a place to frame you as a, as a horrible person yeah. and then create a whole mob 
to come after you. It's like the cancel culture. Yep. Look, I get it. Some people have done really horrible things and maybe they should get called out or shouldn't. What That's you know one issue. But yeah. the internet creates this fear where it's like, I have a podcast right now and you know a lot of people listen to this. And sometimes I'm like, I, I, I wonder like, man, I hope I don't say something where someone is just like, I'm going to take this little snippet here and make this guy out to be a bad guy. Because that's not why I'm doing this if thing. You're a, I, I want to have real conversations. I don't but sometimes know the answer I'm to afraid. that, man. You, you want to be authentic and, and you don't want to be hurtful. You want to be true to yourself and, and say the things you think that either inspire people or make people laugh. And if you don't have the intention of hurting people and you're not using ridiculous stereotypical slurs, or you're not doing that kind of stuff. But in medicine, it's a close call because um, – you know, when you talk, uh, uh, you're seeing, you're, you're thickened anyway, your skin, because you're seeing, I've seen, you know, from gunshot, you know, through residency, I did my, and actually medical school I did in Houston in a, in a county hospital, man, the stuff I was seeing in that county hospital was insane, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sharing that experience, which is insanity with my, my peers, my colleagues, and, and decompressing, then you're just holding that in. And you're mm-hmm. eating that and that stuff eats at you. So that's just stupid. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're going to, I guarantee you they're doing sensitive t- sensitivity training and that kind of stuff. So people don't talk about things, but that's ridiculous. We, we do have to compress. We see people die in front of us. We see kids hurt. We It's terrible. Mm-hmm. And then you see some funny stuff, you know, so um and that's what we used to produce in the placebo journal for 10 years. And then, you know, but again, the funny stories of medicine were good. What I did like too, again, was attacking the system, which we did quite well um, uh, in that because no one else is, you know, they're all afraid of the farmers, big pharma. And uh, they're all afraid of administrators and hospitals. And they're all afraid of the insurance company, what I call the medical axis of evil. And uh, so, you know, we, we took them on and they went after us. And, and I think if you see Z-Dog, I mentioned a story about that, but yeah. whatever. And I would still do it today because that's being authentic. They're not helping anything. Yeah. It's just yeah. They're just Sometimes not. these big institutions that take themselves so seriously and like are doing things that are like clearly like just goes against common sense or goes against like our natural intuitions we want i mean it's i love when i see someone make fun of something that i think is so obviously ridiculous like for example when the cdc recommended that we wear bandanas into covid19 rooms like i i had in my head like created a little a little um cowboy uh skit with a bandana <laughs> but i decided funny. i didn't post it anywhere i was like oh, I'm, I'm in residency i'll get in trouble for this yeah yeah, yeah 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 that is, see, so that's funny. There's something funny there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but then, then someone could take that the wrong way. But um, yeah, it, it, it's still rife with material because, you know, the prices for insurance go up, the prices for uh, uh, the fact that insurance companies will make you do a prior authorization for a generic drug that costs like lisinopril. I remember getting, this is not my, within the last six months before I retired, I was trying to do, a, I'm going to do a generic, uh, what? For lisinopril is a penny. Are you kidding? It's like $6 for a month. And, pre- and prednisone. <laughs> I got one for prednisone too. It was like, what? Yeah. So yeah. you're just trying to stop me from practicing medicine and that that's inappropriate. And so, mm-hmm. okay, game on. And so we would fight, I would f- do anything to hammer them. I can't stand them because they're not, they're taking all the money and, and, um, and we're no one has power. And, and trust me, no me- uh, political party um, is, does not have their hand in that coffer. 
Yeah. They, are the, they are the most, the insurance company is like the most, the, 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 I believe the biggest lobby in this w- country, probably the world. And uh, so they're all taken from, uh, that's why you think, uh, you, know, this, you can have that debate all you want about a single payer when you can't rid of insurance companies. Right. Yeah. They're too, way too powerful at this point. Yeah. No, DBC like, is no. the only way, direct primary yeah. care is the only one that goes out um, around them mm-hmm. Um and and that's the joke that I have. So, so direct primary care people don't know. You have a family doctor has about six hundred patients, uh, which is much less than the normal two to three thousand. And they pay in a membership model. And they can come as often as they want. And they have cheaper labs. We get the cheaper medications. We try to get the cheaper procedures. They have unbelievable access. It's concierge care at an affordable price. So what we used to say, and that's a whole other debate in itself. So yeah. So I'm giving, I mean, in malpractice, insurance goes down in half. So you would Mm -hmm. think, or a third. So they know what care we're giving, such intense care, right? So we're giving better care. It's not that we're better doctors. We just have more time. If you're flipping burgers or or doing anything, you you know, and you have more time, you do a better job when you can pay attention and more time. So why doesn't insurance companies make us on the highest level for, for tell their patients, go to Dr. Farrego? Yeah. Why yeah. wouldn't we be the one? We're that not using them. They're not. They're not. Um, get, they're not, not getting built. Yeah, they're not. Well, there's a there's another thing I was just talking about that with Doctor Gold about this entire thing. There, I'll have to get back to you on this, but there's there's a concept around this that just makes them you know like want DPC like DPC to go to way go away essentially. But Correct. there's so much value in it. It's because, not going anywhere. And so, but think with the monetary piece, right? I'm never billing the insurance. They have no paperwork and they have yeah. no bill. They don't hear from me, right? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't they want to send everybody to me, even though I only take 600? They almost they didn't want zero going to me because they want the patient's data. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. That's where they you know that tech that. stuff. They want to sell that data. They want to control that data and they want to control the patient. And they can't do that with DPC. So we are the thorn in their side. And that's why everybody should support us. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So there's there's a few things I want to go into on this specific topic. Uh, I just, I want to take a step back because uh, I wanted to just um, give people your background on, so you are a pioneer essentially in the direct primary care space. You've had a DPC practice for how many years now? About 30, you said? Years, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you were one of the first people to essentially go into- I was not the earliest and there's some guys definitely earlier, but I was one of the earlier ones. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote three books on direct primary care to help others because- Unfortunately, it was not good books on that. And so mm-hmm. I've kind of known for doing that and then lectures on that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if I'm known in DPC, it's because I was a little bit earlier and I had my books about it. And then I've been you know, pretty vocal about it. And even though I retired six months ago at age of 55, which I thought was good enough, I'm still involved in DPC because I do dpcnews.com, which is now collecting all news stories and tips and ideas and, 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 and as a place, as a repository. So if you haven't checked out dpcnews.com, people should, if they want to know anything about DPC, that's the site. So I'm still, my hands are in it, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not practicing. Right. And, and you've done a number of other things as well. I mean, you've done the, the comic book that you yeah. uh, just mentioned. You've yeah. done the... You've done you you so I, I read that you invented uh, a, a product called Knee Saver, which is yes. now in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and it's worn by MLB catchers. You also yeah, let me show you the bio helmet, yeah, so uh, which is what, athletes for headaches and migraines. Yeah, those, uh, let's see, that's a good one. 
So this is like a little toy here, but that's the knee saber was a padding yeah. that they wear in the back that they squat on. It's a pad right there that they yeah. squat on to take the pressure off their knees. So I invented that in 19, probably 88. And then it took me a couple of years to get patent and then the eight years to get going. And then it just exploded. And then five companies broke the patent and uh, I stopped making money on it. <laughs> and I don't make money on it anymore. But oh, wow. it, was a, it was a fun ride because of the products in the Hall of Fame, actually. Um, actually, that over there is, a, is the Hall of Fame of that product. It's in, in one of their uh, initial like cat, first catcher's mask, first catcher's helmet, and, mm -hmm. uh, and then the first knee saver. So that was a cool product. And then I have a, um, and I don't get any royalties in that. And I have a product called the Cryo Helmet, which is, uh, a helmet, this is the, to wear, to cool your head. So this is like the, that's the heavyweight champ of the world. And that's him wearing the helmet here, a cryo helmet. Wow, who's that? Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on him. He's monstrous. I am literally barking. Uh, um, yeah, the guy's like seven foot tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, uh, he just he fought, what's his name? Tyson Fury, and then I'm blanking on his name. I don't know why I ran out. Uh, <laughs> we'll get back uh, to it. Uh, Vander, uh, uh, Vander Holyfield? Is that no, no, no. The oh, I'm saying that don't look like No, no. The, I, I'll think it'll come to me. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so the quiet helmet is to cool your head for concussions or for migraines. And actually, in this month, it'll be, and I've been doing that for eight years, and that hasn't really made anything. And I've worked with a company to do that. It, um, but it should be in CBS. Uh, and I think that's, in, you'll see the, the Zubin or Z-Dog video. He'll, I actually have it on, but it should be in CBS this month. It took a long time to get there. So wow. uh, it's a good product. But, uh, and again, this is just for fun for me. I don't do it for a living. And I know you've, you you do some other projects on your side. And and for me, I, you know, I, I got to the point in my life where um, I would have loved earlier in my career, this thing exploded. And I could I just not work because I was dealing with the insurance model. I worked for two different FQHCs in, in Maine and, and mm -hmm. my partners were great uh, and my staff were great, but the system sucked. And um, I would love to have said, but I'm gone because I have all this money, but I didn't. Um, yeah. But um, so, yeah, I, I, I do it now for fun now. That's just what I like to do. Yeah. No, I know that I worked in FQHC, uh, FQHC as well. It's a, it's a whole, it's got its own whole set of problems working in that environment, which is yeah. incredibly yeah. difficult. Yeah. I mean, it, you're giving back to this is to, to the community and like, I felt good about that. Good. These patients have nowhere else to go get it. I'm all for that. And, uh, but, but that can be debated too, whether they can, Oh, they can't afford uh, uh, $75 a month for uh, uh, direct primary care. And, maybe they could. And, you know, they're getting um, uh, some subsidies. It'd be great if the system actually said, okay, instead of pure Medicaid, let's give these people like instead of food stamp cards, EBT cards or whatever, but actually for medical care mm -hmm. and they can use that for direct primary care. Boy, mm -hmm. that would be nice because, but th they wouldn't do that because the government mm -hmm. wants strings attached data and metrics and we would be out. I, I mean, I've, I've done, I've done a, you know, I've talked about this and how can, like, could this model, that's a question I, I got a lot was, could this model work for underserved patients or patients in FQHC or like in a refugee community, which is where we, I worked in. Um, and, you know, if the government subsidized this or subsidized the membership, then it could clearly work and the results would be amazing. It's just, could you, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you probably have way more insight into it. Uh, it it's a tough call because, way. you know, listen, the bottom line is um, 
If they only can use that card just for uh, DPC, then it would work. If they can use it for other things, they're not going to use it for – it's about how you value that relationship. But I'm not sure um, everybody values it the same. And um, so that makes it harder. And then we have that debate whether they really could afford $75 a month when you see cigarettes being smoked and everything else, right? And so you have to debate whether – you, you can only do so much, and some people still may not utilize DPC. Yeah. But the bottom line, patients that really need it have, you know, when you're dealing with somebody who's been in the ER 12 times and no one's figuring it out, but because they now do DPC, they can spend an hour with that patient, actually really tie up loose ends. It, it's, it's great for them. Yeah. Get that education across to say, hey, this is why you need to use some of your own money, all your own money, a card. Uh, we have to see, but I know that almost every DPC practice doctor that I uh, have talked to always has a small percentage of free patients. We just don't advertise it. Yeah. I had about five to ten percent at all times yeah. that I was giving free care to, and um, and so and who that's decided by me, and that was the beauty of it, right? Yeah, because I was I remember working for these idiots uh, at this one employed practice, and like the uh, I couldn't get this person. Uh, you know, needed care, they wouldn't, and, and, you know, could not afford going to where we were. And finally, you know, after uh, me begging and fighting to get this guy free care for us, as well as the hospital, um, they, the administrator, you know, like, um, tells the patient, the patient's like, oh, thank you. And to the administrator, I'm like, dude, I'm the one been caring for you for free. <laughs> and we're at the Sozar staff. And the administrator's like, you're welcome. Like he's the, <laughs> like he's the, 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 the king. And it's like, you know, it took forever because of bureaucratic BS. Meanwhile, in DPC like that, I would sit there. I remember talking to a family uh, with the husband had died. They have four kids, uh, five kids and, and she's middle-aged and they have no insurance. And I'm like, I, uh, he, he had just died of, of, of cancer and, and I'm like, I can't charge you and I can't let you go either. Yeah. So, I mean, they, I, I gave them free care forever. They cried. And, and she, I mean, I, I wasn't doing it to be big, you know, make myself feel important, but I, there's no way I can let absolutely go. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And I've heard this, I've heard this actually a few times from a few different DPC docs where, you know, for some reason, someone's just not able to pay anymore and they end up keeping them on for, an extended period of time while they're, you know, getting back on their feet. Um, and, and like the way I think about it is like, you're almost pooling your own insurance, you know, like it's like creating your own insurance within your community where yeah. it's like, you know, like everybody's paying a, you know, a monthly membership rate and it, like you can afford because you have so much more time, you can afford to take like five, like you said, five to 10% more patients that you're, you know, doing on a, you know, for on a pro bono, yeah, uh, it was a cool thing. By the way, that fighter's name is Wilder. His last name is Wilder. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah. so that's, oh, okay. that's that fighter. Is dead. Anyway, okay, yeah. So, no, um, he was killing me. Um, so, yeah, so there's op the opportunities. We give free care. And that's all the debate of DPC. All your cherry picking. That's not true. We have a spectrum of no insurance, some insurance, you know, um, some health sharing ministries, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, we had a large spectrum as much as anywhere else. We didn't cherry pick. We had very hard cases. We just had smaller amount of patients. 
And so there's all these questions why we're hurting or helping the system. Man, at that at point in my, my career, it's like, I'm not here to, to fight the politics of it. I just want to treat patients the way I want to treat them. And I don't want to burn out. So when you see another doctor commit suicide or have drug abuse problems or quit, mm-hmm. um, you have to think about, okay, well, why is that happening? And it's obvious, just the government yeah. and, and its insurance companies. And so yeah. we got to get rid of them or we're going to lose more doctors. Yeah. Or at least like figure out a way to, to just create a separate, I mean, there's already a grassroots movement where it's like, let's just create this. Why are we treating this? Like, like, I think Jeff Gold said something like this, like people are brainwashed where they don't like the idea of paying for a membership with your doctor just doesn't sit right with people. Like it doesn't click. Like people are brainwashed to think, Healthcare equals insurance. Insurance yeah. equals healthcare. Yeah, no, it, it is separate the two. Yep, it is an addiction in there. Because if you say, because honestly, down here, if you made more, if you make the family more than fifty or sixty thousand or something, I'm in Virginia. I think a dollar over that, it's like eighteen hundred dollars a family per month for like Anthem or whatever. Okay, eighteen hundred dollars insurance. That's insanity. And below that, it's like nothing, right? So if you had told those people who are paying eighteen hundred, I'm not going to pay. Uh, $75 a month, you know, for my, to see a doctor. Okay, great. But if the, if, if the insurance company raised your rate only $75 the next year to $1,875, like, oh, awesome. Nothing. Only, oh, it's only $75 raise. I, I can pay that. It's like, but dude, you could have paid, we just said for $75, you could also have your insurance and see, uh, and, and actually in reality is because of labs are so much cheaper and you have a large deductible and because no copay and because no procedures are free and because there's no office fee, if you go four times and have any labs done in that year, it's a wash. Mm-hmm. You haven't lost any money. Yeah. Right? You get no bills from us. Yeah. So a, a lab test may be for a thyroid could be 110 down the block. It was like 10 bucks, five bucks in our office. Yeah. So yeah, I'll run through my insurance. Yeah, your insurance says twelve thousand dollars deductible, dude. So yeah. <laughs> you're getting a massive bill, right? So uh, you may want to pay us cash. We're not making money on these labs. We're just going to get them cheaper for you. So for one hundred and ten dollars, you have a bevy of labs done where it would come. You get a lab if you, you said, "Oh, I've had people that would run through my insurance. I, that's what I pay the big money for." Yeah. Have you read your plan? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Run through my insurance. And then they come back and we haven't signed a waiver saying, you said you're going to do this. Uh, they come back a month later. A thousand dollars. Yeah. I mean, it's an, addi- it is an addiction and it's yeah. like, it, there is a huge education component to this, which is what I'm trying to do with this platform is like, we t- I talk about this all the time because I, it works from every single direction. It works from every aspect. It just makes sense in every way. I've, I've been learning about this for like the last three years since I was a medical student, even before that. And I've, I was like, this makes so much sense that, you know, it's a free market. You get price transparency. Uh, you create like, like you're, you're, there's no more inflated costs. People get better care. Employers can now sign on their patients with, or their employees with a practice and actually save money if they kind of rearrange their insurance infrastructure. It just makes sense. It's a win for everybody. It's a win for yeah. the doctor. It's a win for the patient. And it's a win yeah. for employers too if they if they actually partner with a DPC. They they know that or they're learning that as they go. They're just having uh, – I spoke to a, a, I've spoken to a broker, a few of them actually, and they're like, well, we have these offices and then we want to bring them to a DPC doc 
and there's not enough DPC docs and we try to get the regular office to convert, well, then they don't know what to do with their with converting. So there's not enough DPC docs is one issue. Mm-hmm. The other issue is a lot of these brokers will then, they don't know DPC well, so they'll sell these off, these patients off to direct primary care and name only or dinos, which are just regular offices who slap the word DPC on their office. And mm-hmm. so they'll take, sure, they'll take uh, 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 $70, $80 per member per month, but they do nothing different. They don't have their, they, it's still, you're in the waiting room for an hour, you're, you can't get in and you can't, you don't have access to your doctor. So it, they're fake, they're dinos. Yeah, yeah. Um, so th- th- if someone says, well, I had, a, I had a DPC with my employer and it just was the same thing as a regular office. Yeah, yeah. that's because you didn't have a real DPC. So th- those are companies that, those are just hospitals that have essentially created like a quote unquote DPC clinic as a cover up basically. Yeah, so I've seen, I've seen a, a mass emergent care do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I worked for, uh, before I did DPC, they were creating a direct primary care. It's like, okay, you're basically an urgent care. How are you even calling yourself a direct primary care? And all you're saying is, yeah, we'll take how many employees, $60 or 80 or $90 per, dollars per month. And they can come as often as they want to our urgent care. What the hell is that? That's not direct primary care, not even close. Yeah, yeah. And then I've seen other big businesses, big offices with massive amount of employees who are still seeing mostly insured patients. How are they treating these other these DPC patients any differently? No, they're just turning them through. It's mm-hmm. the same seven-minute visit. It's the same. It's just they're slapping on the term DPC because yeah. they're DPC in, in name only. They're dinos. Yeah, they're a revenue system. I mean, like, like the thing is, what me for me, what qual, what I think of when I think of a DPC is first of all, it's the doctor owner, the the doctor with Correct. ownership. Like Correct. they have ownership over their practice. Yes, they run things. They're in charge of their staff. Their staff report to them, and there's a leadership hierarchy that operates under the direction of the the doctor who's running the practice, and that is what stabilizes and creates the culture and creates the systems that work very well together. Creates the efficiency that yes. makes the direct primary care experience work well. If if they maintain a, a decent amount of a low enough amount of patients. If that same doctor did 6,000 patients, well, you haven't, you're not going to get the service, right. right? So it has to be, so when you look at like a dino who, who's like, who just says, yes, yeah, slap DPC on there. They all have, they're, each doctor has 3,000 patients and you add more from that employer, you've done nothing different. And right. they're going to be done with you. And they usually are. Yeah. So a lot of yeah. people, a lot of employers have had bad experiences with, with dinos. And they haven't really worked with that. I, I used to work with, I, before I left, and I think the guy took over for me when I sold the practice, he's a really good doc and a good guy. He's had a, added some more businesses. And we had three. And it was great because they were very small, 10, 20, 30, 40, you know, whatever employees. And, you know, you really uh, can, can do a good job with that. And so, but, but if you want to say, if the, the boss of a, of a massive family practice consortium with 50 doctors says, you know, we're taking 40,000 patients on or whatever. I mean, yeah. whatever that's going to fail. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, uh, you know, like I've seen doctors who have expand, who have grown their practice and added on other DPC docs. They really cap out at 500 patients. It, it's like, around, we don't know the number. It, it's yeah. a personal number. I did yeah. 600. I know some people did seven. I do know somebody at five. And, and so it's a number that you, you feel comfortable with. And in the beginning, like if you handed somebody 500 patients, that's hard because you have to start, it's good to almost build in slowly so you know your patients and you can, can put them to bed and not know everybody by name. Yeah. And so if you build up over two years, let's say, and get to that cap, then it's actually really a nice, calm, 
like my last few years of, you know, eight yeah. visits, six visits a day. That's all right. I would see. Right. And to put this into context, like for, you know, on average, you see 1% of your patient pool per day. So like you have 600 patients in your pool, you're seeing about six, between six, around yeah, six that patients. that sounds right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, let's say, so in the insurance-based fee-for-service system, you on the on average a doctor in an employed setting will have about two between two and three thousand patients in their panel. Yes. And that equates to about twenty to thirty patients per day. Yes. And if you're gonna do twenty to thirty patients per day and still have a lunch break, um, that's like what, fifteen minute visit maximum. Uh and that doesn't even include all the administrative work you're gonna do, all the paperwork, all the prior auths, all the other bullshit that comes with it. All the and, metrics. All the yeah. garbage metrics. Yeah. Um, no, you, you're not going to get paid for with your time. Like you're going right. to spend hours writing a uh, an FMLA form, and you're not going to get paid for that. Um, this oh. alleviates that problem essentially in the direct primary care model, where you're getting you're not getting paid. You're 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 getting paid on a membership basis. You have a pool. You don't have to worry about your time. You have you your time is already kind of just reserved for you, and you can spend it to work and help your patients as. Yeah, so the, you're really there for, I guess, here's, a, here's a, weird, uh, a curveball. You're actually working for the patient. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which Except is the, for the insurance company. Or who's How the crazy company. is that? Wow. Right. <laughs> so, Doug, I want to I ask you, what, what, is, like, what is stopping this, this movement from growing? Uh, insurance company not, is not helping. Um, uh, where... Um, so I helped form the, uh, I had the idea and then helped form the direct primary care Alliance is the voice behind it. I'm not involved now because I'm not practicing doctor and, but they have great people involved, Julie Gunther and Vance Lassie and great people and Joe Grundy and on and on and on and, and, uh, Kissy Blackwell, all great people. And they'll keep churning over as they add new people. And that's growing as the voice. Um, and I think we're the, it's growing linearly, not exponentially, because doctors are afraid, right? So the regular family practice doctors don't want to make that jump because you got to go from, hey, I'm making a salary to zero, yeah. right? You start a practice, you're now just getting zero money until patients come in. Mm -hmm. And so we're afraid of that. We're afraid of failure. We're, we're not used to this model, even though this was the model, to put up your own shingle was the model 50 years ago. They're afraid to do that. Uh, I think uh, the DPC community is the most helpful community I've ever seen of helping each other try to get better. And, and But we're not out there with lots of money trying to market it because once you fill your own thing, you're not out there to put, spend money to market it for the world. I mean, and so I think there's, it, it's a most, it's a very highly successful conversion. If you do it, you're just going to have to tighten the belt for a year, maybe two and then you're happy forever, but it's short-term pain for long-term gain versus stay in the system. If you want to stay in the system, good for you, but it's, uh, you know, you get sort short-term gain with some, you know, money that the hospital may be giving you at first, and then it's long-term pain because they're going to squeeze you, change. Dude, I've been so, I went through so many contracts when I was an employed doctor and RVUs and that RVU system changed at their will. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and when COVID, guess what? You know what? We are not making much money. So the contract means nothing. You don't like it? Quit. Yeah. I mean, they, they so proved sad. themselves. They showed their true true uh, self, the uh, the administrators during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the 
I mean, like we, you already go through, you already go through a grueling process of medical school and then residency for three to seven years, depending on what you're doing for primary care, three years. Like, just look at it. Like for me, like I frame it in, like, this is another resident, like another fellowship of building your own practice. Like pay yourself like a resident for two years and go out and start your own business and you'll have equity in your, in your own space at the end of it. You'll you have something do, to show. Oh. Absolutely could do that. I, I actually, my first, the book uh, called, I wrote the book called the official guide to starting your own directory care practice. Right. And I kind of go through all that. It is possible to come out as a resident and actually do it in your own district. People have done that. I do now think it's a, a you take a job with a hospital for a few years with, and save your money so that you can just do it. Right. Um, but people don't want to do that because they're so broke for so long. But yeah, you know, you can take a job, you can take, you can come out and just do, start your DPC practice and do urgent care out on the weekends. Like I can't work seven days a week, dude. If you have no one in your practice for five days of the week, you're twiddling your thumbs doing nothing. <laughs> so I mean, it's not, it's not like you're working. Um, so I mean, I, I, people always have an excuse why they can't. There's ways, there's ways to make this work. And I try to list them out. So if you're a resident, you can do it. If you're 50, you could do it. You know why? Because you want to be happy. Uh, and the only time I've ever was happy, and I, I did enjoy working with my partners um, uh, in my first two practices in Maine. They were my best friends. And so I, I'll miss that. I always miss that. That was it. And the staff was great. I had great staff, but um, I don't miss the administrators. Uh, I couldn't really miss the patients as much because I was grinding through them, didn't know them. I miss the ones I had now much more because I knew them very well. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're missing out on what it truly is to be the doctor you wanted to be. I did a lecture for the nuts and bolts conference in, in 2017. It's called the hero's journey. If anybody wants to look that up on YouTube and that's a, this, my lecture about direct primary care, uh, uh, um, and, and what I went through and how you can, uh, it'll help you to do it. I, I think it was a good lecture. It actually got a standing ovation. That was a good lecture. So it was a good talk, I should say. And it, it, the bottom line is there is no perfect answer. Um, um, if you think you're going to get this perfect job at the hospital, maybe you will. But if you don't, and most of us don't, it sucks. Okay. It sucks to go home with homework still. It sucks to be grinding through your day. It sucks to uh, feel the weight and burden of administrative, what I call bureaucratic drag. The mm -hmm. coefficient of bureaucratic drag is so high, you, you just can't get through it. And that's why we're seeing substance abuse, uh, retirements, burnout, suicide. There has to be an answer for that. Well, what about the patients? Well, what about the patients? Are you doing an incredible job for 25 or would you do a better job with eight to 10, whatever it is, and really be complete? You know, I mean, you, 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 but you can, you can right, rationalize yeah. any way you want. And, and again, I don't begrudge anybody who stays in the system. I did it for 15 years. Good for you. If you love it, God bless you. Do it, do it. Yeah. But if you don't, don't, you know, rethink DPC is what I would tell you. Yeah. I had a friend of mine once say like something that resonated with me. And it was like, if you're seeing 30, pa 30 patients a day, absolutely zero patients are getting good care. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, and it's true. I mean, you can pull it off, but Ooh, after years of this, uh, it's hard. So, you know, um, I mean, I never got to seeing 30 patients in a day, you know, but I, it's not fun. I, it's I not like seeing, a, 
Max. It's not a medal of honor there, man. It's yeah. not a badge, you know, right? Like when I was younger, it was a badge when I first came out. But when I first came out, it was 97. So you know, we still have paper charts and we would, you know, it's a dictaphone, right? And yeah. so I could grind through that. I didn't have metrics. When I, when I started in 97, this is like, I know people are thinking I'm antique, but, you know, I could actually say, I like, I need a CT of the admin. And I'd get a CT, but I wouldn't have to give a diagnosis. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, we could, there wasn't a prior off. Yeah. yeah. Imagine that. Right. Yeah. Well, well, you have to well, think about the dog man. Well, why, what do you mean? You didn't have to give a, you have to give a diagnosis for who? I know what the diagnosis is. Who else needs that? Diag- maybe, maybe the radiologist wants to know and I'll talk to him about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't, why, why does the insurance need to know? Because they want to stop it. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we, 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 uh, we accepted that changeover by insurance and says, no, you need to tell me why you need this. Why? And, yeah. and, and, and I have to say, answer you, who are you? Yeah. Your insurance. Yeah. So we, uh, we lost that battle. Doctors, we have the worst organizing bodies uh, to help us. <laughs> Please. Right. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> we, we're not even unionized like for residents. Like there's like finally UMass residents just got organized. In, in ah, that'll fail. The unionized that always fails. Cause there'll be by the time that you, you get some motivation, they already graduate. They don't care. They move on to the yeah, No, job. Well, they actually just got unionized. So like there's a national resident union going around UMass. So they just, they just got one. I don't know how long it'll last, but I hope I'm rooting for it. <laughs> you know, it, I don't know the answer about unions because unions could be great and using unions also could be bad, right? Because they can do things that, that, that are just self-serving. And then there was great things they've done to save, save uh, the, um, and protect their members from, from injuries and so forth. So it, it's a double-edged sword. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this, but uh, the, the, the fact that we have organizing bodies that haven't fought, uh, from less against lesser educated, lesser trained uh, practitioners. We're not practitioners mm-hmm. who are claiming to be of equal use to, uh, right. and can do the equal work. That's a problem for me. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean there's not a role, but it's a problem when then they, they, they came in under the uh, Trojan horse of collaboration. Now that's competition yeah. and our organizing bodies say nothing. Uh, our organizing bodies like the AMA make money off these CPT codes. So how are we going to change that? I haven't seen a CPT code in six years because, uh, or a diagnosis, like uh, why did I need that? Well, you spent three diagnoses and you have to use the ICD-10. Why? Yeah. Well, because that's how you do medicine. No, yeah. it has nothing to do with medicine. It never had anything to do with medicine. They're trying to take that data and they're going to sell that data and AMA makes money off this data. So, um, and selling the, the codes. It had mm-hmm. nothing to do with DPC. When my DPC was a um, practice, I did a soap note, the old fashioned soap note, subjective, objective assessment and plan, done. And that was it. And mm-hmm. then sometimes they came in for something and it was a, you know, I would do a five word thing uh, because, you know, earache, uh, ear looks fine, recommend just symptomatic care. What? Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how can you do that? You know, okay, I, I'm not billing anybody. I didn't need to know about a level three, a level four, because that's BS. That's right. made up crap. You're just, I mean, we, how many times do you just enter a template, enter a review system template, enter a physical exam template just because you need to just code? Yes, I mean, it's, it's fake. It, yeah. It's like, I mean, the, it's like, like I asked, like, yeah, if we're all going to be honest here and nobody, and like, honestly, like people be honest about this, you're adding in templates and you're not really carefully looking at every single thing. It's for coding. That's all it's yeah. for. 
Yeah, you're you're treating the you, you go there's two three people and three things enter that room in the industrialized model. You, the patient, and the computer. The patient leaves unsatisfied, you leave unsatisfied, and just maybe the computer satisfied. And so the bottom line is it's a joke. And so uh, if you watch my lecture, I talk about review of systems. Review of systems, yeah, you asked. 15 review systems. Oh my God. Yeah, don't yeah you did. Sure you did. Here's yeah. my deal. I took out review systems in my physicals when I did a physical exam, you know, because mm-hmm. it was, it was fake. It was made up for coding. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask every question in the world. Why don't I sit there with a dictionary uh, and just ask every, you know, I mean, it's just insanity. So yeah, yeah now you got me going. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. <laughs> I mean, a relevant review of systems is really all you need. That just can go in your HPI and you can put Absolutely. a relevant. You're asking, if you come in with a headache, you're going to then go around the and you're going to work your differential through that headache. And in that HPI, you're going to talk about patient didn't have this, didn't have this. You didn't have another section for HPI. It's a joke. It was never made uh, to make care better. Neither are metrics. I used to say metrics are unproven. They are proven. Quality metrics are proven not to work. Okay. Mm -hmm. They've been proven again over and over again, yet we still do this. How is that possible? How is that possible? Follow the science. You want to follow the science. They don't work. And yet you still do it because you're trying to kiss ass to the insurance company Mm -hmm. or the government because you want your little extra money. Get out of the system, get off the teat of the government and the insurance company and think about a DPC. Oh, well, well, you're just making tons of money off rich people. That's not direct primary care. It's a a $75 on average. Sometimes I think it's 77 is the average monthly fee um, that you charge much less for a family. I was charging for a full family, 165 up to a family of five. So, uh, and again, I've given 10% away. So you, I would, and if you still want to accuse me or accuse me of gouging, which I wasn't or fine, I don't even care if you're that angry. <laughs> I think, no, I think, I think like this is, I think it's proven that it works. I yeah. think it's educating, getting people to understand why it works, why, why that it's it, like Dr. Gold talked to me a couple of days. It, it really is an addiction. People are addicted to insurance and like there has to be a deconstruction of like that it like you got to wean people off of it you got to get them yeah. to understand like the primary care and you know like catastrophic insurance there they should be two different things we should you should pay for your insurance you should have a direct you should pay for your doctor in primary care setting because it just works you build a direct relationship it works and it alleviates all the pain points for the doctor and there's no middlemen involved. There's price transparency. It just works. And it's, people have to just. It, it's part like, of the solution. I agree. I don't ever say I'm, this is, is the solution. It is part of the solution. But mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I guess I could talk about that all day. If anybody's interested, I have three books out there on that on it. Uh, there's other good books as well. Um, there's lectures out there. DPC News, we talk about it all the time. If you're interested, in, if you're a primary care doctor, check dpcnews.com. We have two posts that come out every day. So it's all good stuff, man. What else you want to talk about? Anything fun? I mean, I, I'm, I just love talking about, I love talking about DPC, man. I'm so like, <laughs> I'm so obsessed with like just bringing the value back in, in medicine, you know, like I'm so, look I, my whole mission, like what, what drives me, if you ask me what drives me, it's like when I went to work as a medical student, when I was a medical student, I was in the outpatient clinic and I saw doctor after doctor burnt out, miserable, not having a good time, hating their work and going home with still more work to do. Like for me, yeah. that was just so sad. 
And like, I've, I've always considered myself at least a little bit business savvy. Like I, I could see how, you know, like I could structure this and make them like, I try to help people. I try to help doctors, you know, create better ways to do their practice. But like, I was still a medical student. I didn't know anything. Um, but it's it, that, that, that was like breaking my heart all through medical school, mm-hmm. through residency. I was just burned out. I didn't like any of the process of, I didn't, number one, I mean, I, I just sometimes would feel like I wasn't really making a difference and I wasn't really like, you know, once in a while I would have that patient encounter where I really felt like I made a difference. Yes. Overall, I felt like I wasn't really making a huge difference because I really, if I was going to really make a difference, I needed to spend time with people. And I'm a people person. I like to sit down, chat with people, talk, get to know them, you know, have yes. a conversation and, and, and build that relationship. But that's not, we all know that's not what residency is. You're a glorified secretary and a glorified social worker and a glorified million other things. And a little bit of medicine sprinkled in there. That's the same thing. It doesn't change when you go in the industrialized model and you're hired by a hospital. You know, what's the one metric they'll never measure? Time with patient. Yeah. They don't ever put that down. How much time did you spend with the patient? They'll put that down. No, they won't measure that. You know why? They don't, they don't want to do that. <laughs> because you don't want doctors spending too much time with the patient, right? That kills productivity, uh, even though it may help their care. It's You cannot fix the system, no matter what formula or 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 MIPS, MAPS, craps, whatever they want to call it, comes out. It's all going to fail. It doesn't work. It won't yeah. work. It can't be from the top down. It has to be no, from the top down. No, absolutely not. This is the biggest grassroots movement um, in medicine in the last 40 years, which is direct primary care. And this will be a part of the solution um, if enough doctors just say, I'm done. If you don't want to say you're done and you can deal with it, deal with it. But don't yeah. complain. Right. I mean, what I, I talked to you a little bit about the startup company that I have right now and what we're trying to do, like we're going to launch in August, but we're going to try and bring DPC doctors in with zero startup costs. That's one of our goals. We have, we've kind of formulated a model on how to do this. And, you know, that's one of my main missions. Like I want to, I want this to work. I want doctors to have their own ownership of their practice, you know, have their own space and, and, and own their business and own their time and, and be able to schedule family time, be able to take a vacation if they need it, be able to, you know, not have to take work home. Like for me, this is, this is like, I'm, I'm super like passionate about this. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's a great idea. You still got to get the pain point is getting patients, even yeah. though that as a startup is low, you're got to get those doctors patients. If there's, yeah. again, if there's, well, I can talk to you uh, offline about that. Cause I'm still trying to keep all this under wraps. <laughs> all right. We won't talk about it. Right. Let's, let's keep uh, that on the, on the DL. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep it on the DL, but any, any, you know, you'll hear if anyone's listening and curious, you'll hear more about this with time. All right. Um, great. Yeah. That's but, not, um, I mean, I mean, look, you're, you are to me like a, an outlier. You're obviously an entrepreneur. You've built, uh, you know, a number of products as well. And uh, not everybody is built like you in, in medicine. You know, not like not everybody has that entrepreneurial mind, go-getter. Agreed. Agreed. And, and, there's, that's, and, and that's a problem, a problematic thing too, right? And so you know, with, a, with don't, it's all, not all, it, you know, peaches and cherries here, right? I mean, you have a... Um, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I probably would have been diagnosed with ADD and there's always been a control issue of my mind to make sure I'm doing what I have to be doing when I'm doing it. And that was medicine always came first. And I did keep that there for me. Um, 
So is people built like me? I wouldn't want people built like me. I've got too many other problems in my life that you wouldn't <laughs> want to be like me. But I will tell you this, um, there's been enough people to blaze this path before me, with me, after me. Um, I've got three books. There's other books out there. There's lectures, there's courses, there's conferences. The DPCA or Direct Primary Care Alliance uh, is phenomenal with a mastermind weekend and uh, that they do it four or five times. There's so many ways to learn this from people instead of doing it on your own and just wing it. I had to do it on my own. Uh, I, people before me like Josh Umber, um, you know, Julie Gunther, these people, I, they, they were, you know, slightly before me and helped me at some time at, at times, especially Josh with Atlas MD. I did like his EMR a lot. And, but, you know, I had to do a lot of this crap on my own marketing, figuring out um, then the basics of the practice that's all out there now. Yeah. And so um, if risk is too high because you could fail, still could fail, but you don't die. You just don't, you fail. Um, but still, there's some people that just can't do this. This is not in their DNA. Then don't do it. But I will tell you that if you wanted to work DPC, there's 10, 11 jobs on my website, DPC News Now, that there are people looking to hire you. Other doctors mm-hmm. want you to work with them and you don't have any of the business part. You just exactly. get paid. You do the six to eight patients a day. You still make over two a year. Um, I don't know why no, these are not being filled. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's even an education on the, on the process. Like I think in residency, like there's a little bit of effort to educate on direct primary care, but people still like, you know, like oh, I know they're, we not had doing, a, they, they're not doing us right in res, the, the residency. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I get it. I know. Trust me. But I'm not I, sure why. Yeah, I th- well, I mean, they want you to, and the, at the end of the day, they want you to sign with their hospital, and you know, maybe work there. So yeah, that that they want to retain their residents, and most actually, that's actually a strategy that a lot of residency programs use to build. Actually, hospitals start residency programs for that reason. Yes, to, tra- yeah. to transition the residents into actually working employees after they graduate. So they have them sign contracts sometimes in first year of residency. And sometimes, like later on, I know, yeah, I know no, where I, I did my intern. There's that no conflict of interest there when a, when a hospital owns uh, doctors, right? I mean, I remember, I remember getting, I remember this email distinctly, like we're having a low census. People, we're, I actually put this in writing. The CEO at a hospital, uh, we need some help here. We're having a low sense of patients in the hospital. What? You want us to admit patients? What are you saying between the lines here, buddy? Your CEO. <laughs> How do I? Would we make people sick? What Wait, if? Say that again. Wait, I, I didn't catch all of that. Yeah. So, so I worked for a hospital. Yeah. And I remember uh, the CEO uh, sending an email saying, "We're having a low census. This is a, this is problematic. We're going to need some help." <laughs> oh my god, that's horrible. What? I mean, what are you saying? Right? I mean, a low census of patients that should be a good thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So yeah. it's 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 a conflict of interest when 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 you when doctor that marriage is a conflict of interest anyway. Yeah, uh, it has to be done very. Mm, and so when you, I I I was I was blown away by that. I actually answered that. Oh no, I'd never mean you to have poor care. Yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah. That system is broken. I mean, this it's is like sad, a whole conversation. Broken. This is a whole conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. imagine, imagine, like. Well, I mean, it, it's a business, right? A hospital is a business. They, they're in it to make money. They got shareholders. They got to make money. And, but think about like, 
this is making money off of sick care. So they obviously are incentivized to have more sick care and to, you know, continue to do procedures and do things that it's going to make money. So like when you get an organization that grows to an enormous billions of dollars amount and you have all this incentive and money and people working like it, it just becomes a life of its own. Like, Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, in the old days, it wasn't the administrators have grown 3000% since 1970 or something like that. The administrators are, 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 are continuing to replicate um, and reproduce and yet doctors are not. And so you've got to feed the beast, uh, which is tons of administrators and bureaucracy. And so get that machine going, get, the, you know, feed that hospital machine versus you know, I don't know what it was 50, 60, 70 years ago, but, but it seems to me it was probably more the patient was sick and you did what you could to help that patient and you gave them the bill. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, and then, you know, I, I'm all for, I do think we should have a catastrophic safety net of insurance so no one gets stuck going bankrupt over a hospital bill. I, I, I disagree with any way that can happen. So I do think people should have some safety net. Um, and then that's all. And then the rest of it, they should have to pay out of pocket because they'll shop around. We have Amazon. Um, we, we're the best shoppers in the world. We can figure out the lowest prices or the best prices that, that work for you. For, and we can figure out how to spend it. And I would hope DPC could be part of that. Yeah. I want to have a part two to this conversation because there's okay. still a lot of stuff <laughs> still right. a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about. But yeah. maybe on a lighter note, we'll just, you know, like talk about some other stuff just because yeah. um, hey, like really here's a little secret. Bad. I'm retired. I got nothing to do, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing uh you're doing DPC news now. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually run two blogs and uh and I have a some other projects that I do for that I do because it just to keep me mentally stimulated. But um, but no, my schedule is wide open. So anytime you want to talk again, you, you just you 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 have my number. Yeah, I, I definitely. I, you're going to be hearing from me a lot. You're going to be like, "Damn, why did I give this guy my number?" All right, <laughs> but <laughs> not, I mean, not a problem. So I I want to be respectful of your time here. I know we said till seven. Uh, let's wrap things up. You know, where can okay. people find out about you? Learn more. Any anywhere? Any places we can send people? Okay, so. Um yeah, dpcnews.com if you're interested in DPC. If you're interested in just kind of the, uh, being reading up a good critiques of medicine today, authenticmedicine.com is my blog going for 20 years. I have 10 writers. I write occasionally, but I have 10 other writers on authenticmedicine.com. Um, and then I have my books on DPC, and I have actually other books out there. So, yeah, and then look at that lecture on DPC, too. I think that will help you also. Um, but, yeah, you can find me at any of those places. Awesome. Thanks so much, Doug. It's been a pleasure. Good to see you, man.